Well, today we are here recording in a location that I've never recorded in before, in an RV. Um, we're here at a family gathering. My whole family's up here and a bunch of other families, obviously, but uh, a good friends of ours are letting us stay in their RV, which I'm really appreciative of. And I am joined with a guest today, uh, Evan Amsden. Hello. <laughs> you have a truck that we are driving today. Uh, even though we're staying in an RV, we're going to get in a truck here and get on the road. So. I do. It seems very fitting that we would drive the RV, but no, we're going to drive something a little bit better. Kate also told me the RV is dead, so we want to get very far anyways. Okay. It's a good thing <laughs> then that we're driving this, this truck. So we're driving a 1997 Ford F-250 cab and a half long bed color is white and it's clean as a whistle there's not a single spot of rust on it <laughs> and fun fact about it is the truck was it the only truck you had that had ac no it wasn't the only truck that i had that had ac but it's one of the only vehicles i've owned that had ac <laughs> had ac <laughs> and uh, if the heater core goes out in ohio it's not a not a good time in the middle of winter no no, no thankfully <laughs> that didn't happen with this one but it did with the previous one that's why <laughs> this one was purchased yeah, I was, it's funny because in, in Florida, if you don't have heat, it's not a big deal, but you have to have AC. And so everyone's looking for vehicles with AC, but if it doesn't have heat, it's yeah, it's whatever. You just bundle up in the winter a little bit, and, <laughs> but not much. <laughs> yeah, completely opposite in Ohio. So, well, let's get on the road here. So today, I really wanted to get your testimony. I think you have a powerful testimony that a lot of people in the church probably struggle with. You were raised in the church. You grew up in the church. And I don't want to give anything away because you're going to tell all this. But it was just something that when Nevin told me all this, it was kind of near and dear to my heart and hearing how many people have struggled with this, you know, being saved or not being saved and what Jesus has done. So it was really important for me to get you on here. And I thought I gave you more notice, but you're, you're claiming I did not give you more notice. So just yesterday I threw this on him and I know we talked about this, but I do not remember you saying that we're going to do it here (laughs) at this time, (laughs) but he's being a good sport about it. We're going to get into it. So let's just start from the beginning. I mean, you grew up in the church. Yeah. So I don't remember really any day that I wasn't in the church of some form or fashion. There was a little time where it was just my family meeting together in our house. But as long as I can remember, we've always been in church. And growing up as a little kid hearing the gospel, knowing about God, knowing the Bible, having it read to you, singing songs about it. You know, my mom used to sing uh, songs specifically about Jesus as she would put us to sleep as little kids. And so I knew all this. It was all very familiar. It was just kind of like it was part of our life, very much so. It would be weird if you were to remove any of that from our life. That was just how how common it was. And, And for that, I'm very thankful my parents actually taught me that, taught my siblings that. So knowing all this as a kid and knowing things like the rapture and the judgment, and there's only two options when you when you die, there's heaven or there's hell. Sure. Even as a kid, you think about all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I can definitely. remember <laughs> being a little kid and being outside playing and thinking, okay, wait a minute, Jesus could come at any time. That means that trumpet could sound in the next instant. And if that happens, I don't know if he's going to take me or not. 
And that scared you, right? That was probably the thing that scared me the most out of anything. And I remember I would just take off running around our property, just trying to forget about it, just trying to get it out of my head because that was the only comfort that I got. And it would just cause me no lack of like torment whenever I would think about it. The fact that Jesus could come at any moment and he's going to take those that are his. And I don't know if he's going to take me or not. And then after that, now I'm left here. And those who had heard the gospel before, God's going to send them strong delusion that they believe a lie. I'm like, so now I'm pretty much can't be (laughs) saved and that's it. I'm done for. Do you know how old you were or remember how old you were during that time? Um, this was, I mean, this was many years that this happened. There was one specific time I, I'm remembering when I was outside in our front yard, I'd been playing with Legos out in the dirt with my siblings. At that point, I was probably anywhere from eight to 11, if I had to guess. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty young. Yeah. It's crazy how young we can be and have the understanding of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I remember kind of the same time going through the same stuff, like going, wow, like Jesus is coming back. Like just just knowing that, like, and I don't know if it's because somebody told me or it was just ingrained in me that like, yeah, Jesus is coming back and and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) There's nothing you can do about it. You don't know when. Uh, The the Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. And so it could be at any instant. It's like, wow, that was was kind of scary. So I guess the question is, what'd you do about it? Um, I just... I would just try to put it out of my mind, honestly. And I never really made the connection that, okay, he's coming back. He might not take me. So what do I need to do? I need to get saved. Like for a while, I never really made that connection. Okay. So then later on, still going to church and living, you know, being a good Christian kid, pretty much as it continued to grow up and I always wanted to do right. I always wanted to be right. Sure. And... So I found a way to do that as a Christian. You just do all the things that a Christian is supposed to do, right? Right. And you try to be Christian. You try to be good. You try to do all those things properly. And so as I grew up, went to Christian school and homeschool, going to church, everyone that was around, I always tried to put off the proper image, make sure that no one ever thought bad of me, make sure I was always caught doing the right thing. And it really, it worked. And I bet it I, did. <laughs> I had a bunch of siblings and folks were always commenting about like, oh, you're our favorite of all the your siblings and stuff. Like some of your siblings are cause a lot of problems and, <laughs> and you seem to you know be really good. And that was like, I took pride in that and it felt good. But then on the backside, it was like, well, I know how bad I am and I'm just as bad as they are. People just don't see it. So during this whole time, you were still like kind of scared of death, scared of what's going to happen if Jesus came back? Whenever the thought came to mind. Okay. Yeah. Most, but then I'd, I'd just try and push it out of my head. So yeah, just growing up trying to be right, do right, be a good person. And we started going to an independent Baptist church in 2012. And at this point, I was 14 or 15. Okay. And so we started going there, and I heard the gospel very well there. I mean, they'd go through the Romans Road. They would go all through the gospels. They'd go into, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 and just explain the gospel, what it really is, and 
who Jesus is. And that was like the first time you'd really been presented with the gospel, or is that the first time you understood? No, 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 okay. no, no. See, growing up in, in Christian home, I had heard the gospel quite a bit, but this pastor was very cerebral. Okay. So that made a lot of sense to me because me and my siblings were also very cerebral. <laughs> and so it was sort of like he was talking on our level. We couldn't understand it. He was very detailed the way that he preached the scriptures. So I came to know the gospel even better and learned stuff in the Bible. He was just a very good preacher. I learned a lot of stuff there. And I read a lot in my Bible, studied it quite a bit to the point where I started to know the Bible better than a lot of my peers. Okay. So you were just like hoarding knowledge at this point, right? Pretty much. Okay. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and man, did that give me a big head. And the pride was just kind of like running rampant. And I would talk with people about the Bible and they'd try and quote a verse and they would miss a word. And I'd be like, actually, it says this. And it bugged me whenever someone would quote the Bible wrong. And that was just kind of all points of pride. So you're 15, 16 during this time? Yeah. And going, we, we went to that church for about seven years. So okay. So, okay. so going on. Yeah. All within that time. Okay. So there came a point when I was at the Christian school that we had some kind of spiritual emphasis week there. They do that every year where they, they bring in some group or maybe a pastor from one of the local churches and they spend two, three days where we don't have any classroom time, but they're preaching different sessions to us. And then they have game activities or whatever. And I remember one of the years that they had that, I don't even remember what the speaker was speaking on, but I remember just feeling very torn up inside and feeling like a Pharisee because like, I wanted Jesus. I wanted this salvation and I knew the right answers. You know, I knew, uh, you know, in Romans 10, it says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe on Jesus, you shall be saved, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember going and talking to one of the guys and saying like, look, I feel like a Pharisee. What's, what's going on here? Like, I know the Bible. I've memorized a lot of the Bible. I'm living a good life, but I just feel so dirty inside. Why? (laughs) And I don't remember exactly the counsel he gave me, but I know I still didn't get it. <laughs> so so you knew the right answers. You just didn't believe it to be true. Like or? I knew it in my head. Okay. I, I, I knew it in my head. And I guess I never really made the connection that just knowing it in your head doesn't really. Doesn't save you. No, that doesn't right. save you. The knowledge doesn't save you. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And the person, he saves you. Absolutely. So I went around and tried to forgive and ask forgiveness for all the people that I thought, you know, I had wronged or whatever. And boy, that was a chore. And I remember going to my (laughs) siblings and asking their forgiveness and, and feeling like, okay, I'm on a clean slate. Everything's good. And then next week back to living like I was. Hmm. And so as I continued on in high school and then graduated in high school, I still was, you know, putting out this front that I was this good person And this whole time, I sincerely wanted to be this. I wasn't trying to be a fake. I sincerely wanted this. I just was living according to the knowledge I had in my head. But still, during this time, you just felt like, man, if Jesus comes back, is he going to take me? Right. And there was never that sense of uh, security and sureness, like what Cade talked about yesterday evening, that you know 100% sure that you're going to heaven, and it's not by anything that you do. I never had that. There was always that, like Cade said, you got 97% sure, that 3%, that 3% is killer. 
that'll get you. And that provided no lack of mental torment to me. It was always that thought of, I don't actually know. Like, what what proof do I have? Like, I don't know. Can't God just show himself to me? And then there'll be absolutely no doubt. I think most people have had that thought. Like, Jesus, just come to me and say, hey, please. (laughs) Right. So we're still going to the Baptist church. And we even did things like a fair ministry where we'd go out and set up a booth at the fair. And we had this big sign, question millions can't answer. And they got a little (laughs) light up box. And so you put your head down to the box and push the light. And it lights up the question that says, if you were to die today, do you know 100% sure if you go to heaven? And they would try to get everyone in the church to help out with that, work shifts at the booth, because it's all week long during the fair. And okay. so they take the youth on Wednesday night, and we go out and we pass out flyers, pass out tracks or whatever it was that we were passing out. And then we would also have times to work in the booth. So when someone would come up and press that, then... We'd be right there and we'd ask them, hey, you know, do you, do you know the answer to that question? We get to talk to them about that. And if they want to talk more, then we can take them inside, sit them down, and actually talk to them, show them, you know, the Romans road, walk them through the gospel. Sure. And I did that with a couple of folks. Uh, really? As an unsaved guy. Oh, my goodness. And it felt like I was trying to beat them into heaven. It was awful. I was like, something is not quite right here. Like you were trying to save them. Yeah. Like I was behind them trying to push them in. And it just felt wrong. Like, this is not, something's not right here. (laughs) And then I would talk with folks at work. You know, I talked with this guy that said he was an agnostic atheist. I'm like, well, first off, you're confused. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) No, but I appreciate he was always willing and open to talk and always very polite. And so we would talk sometimes, you know, an hour, hour and a half after we've closed down and we'd just be standing out in the parking lot talking and I'm trying to witness to him and trying to, you know, prove that Christianity is right and prove that Jesus is the way and that the gospel is true all the while I'm not actually saved. <laughs> so it was like something, something's not right here. But that's what I mean when I say I sincerely wanted this. And so in course of time at the church, they have a discipleship program and they want you know, folks that have gone through the youth group, uh, typically 18, I think, is the age that they want you to start to go through the discipleship program. They put you with someone that would pair well with you. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. someone that uh, maybe you guys think the same or you have the same kind of job or you're something like that. Kind of like-minded people. Yeah. Okay. So in the discipleship program, they have like 20 different lessons they go through, and it's just trying to explain basic doctrines from the Bible. And then there's a lesson in there about salvation. There's a lesson about baptism, lessons about communion, things like that. And there are different checkpoints as you go through and as your disciple works with you. So like when you get to, I think it's like lesson three about salvation, if the disciple is not saved, they're not supposed to go any further. Okay. Well, the guy that they put me with was a good friend of mine and we knew each other pretty well. And we get to that lesson. I remember meeting in his house because you'd go home, do your lesson. You'd come back and meet it at, with your disciple or wherever, you know, once a week or whenever you guys could get together. And I remember going, reviewing that lesson. And we get to that point where it literally in the book, I says like, stop here if the person's not saved or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not worried about that with you. I, kn- I know what kind of person you are. Wow. And didn't even question. I didn't say anything. No, he didn't, didn't question or anything. He just automatically assumed that I was saved because of, 
you know, this front that I was putting off. And I remember sitting there at his table thinking, okay, well, I'm glad we can continue with this, but I don't know if I'm actually saved. And I didn't say anything. Sure. So we just continued on. Was it like out of embarrassment that you didn't want to say anything? Because then that would... Right. Because that was like, that I'm exposed. At this point, I have a reputation among the social groups, folks at church, folks at work, at the school that I went to, amongst my family. I have this reputation now of being this good Christian kid. Right. And I mean, there was even a kid in school who picked on me. He was the bad kid of the class. And he picked on me. It was always calling me goody two shoes. And I hated that so much, <laughs> but I'm like, man, he nailed it better than anyone else. And he saw through you more than anyone oh, else. Man. <laughs> and he, and he was the one that was always getting in trouble. He is the one that, you know, they say went goes off the deep end or whatever, but yeah, he saw right through that and he knew what I was and it was convicting. So you had just a lot of pride during this time of, oh, yeah. of who you were. Just oh, yeah. Very, very proud. So you couldn't say anything to that guy because then all your pride would be gone. Exactly. <laughs> You'd have to humble yourself. But the interesting thing was even with this reputation and even being called out from the pulpit, I remember the pastor saying, you other young guys can look to Evan as an example of what a godly young man is wow. like. He literally said that while he was preaching. <laughs> and I'm sitting next to my peers, the other young guys. And it's like, if there was a hole, I want to crawl in it. No <laughs> because, kidding. Yeah, I've got this reputation, but they didn't know what was inside. And I really had a lot of doubts about it and didn't know if I was actually a Christian. And so my discipler, we talked about it a little bit and I don't think I ever really said like, hey, I'm not saved, but I'm like, went about it in a roundabout way. Like, hey, if someone's not sure their salvation. <laughs> Asking for a friend here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what passages would they go to? Or can you suggest something? And he's like, oh, First John, of course. You know, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go read through First John. And the problem was I saw that as something to, again, something to do. Rather than a description of the already regenerate man, I tried to make it a formula to make myself the regenerate man. Like I tried to make sure, yeah, that I love the brothers, make sure that I love God, make sure that all the things there in first John, that I was emulating those in my own life to try to make myself a Christian. But that's not how it works because that's not what it is. It's a description of someone who's already saved, not a way to get saved. Doing what was it in James when it says good religion is this, that you should- Pure religion. Pure is religion is Here this. I am correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I need a lot of correction. So you're just working. You were pretty much working to earn favor with God mm -hmm. and, and to sit in his throne or not in his throne, but sit by his throne. <laughs> right. But really what was interesting though, is I knew the gospel. I knew it was by faith. I knew it was not by works. You know, nothing that I could do was righteous enough. All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I know all this stuff in my head. And so if someone would ask me like, hey, are you saved? I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. And they'd say, well, why? And I'm like, well, because Jesus died for me and he's washed me with his blood and all this kind of stuff. And it's not by anything that I can do. Like I knew all the right answers to give people. I had everyone convinced. And I look back and there's only two people very good friends of mine, married couple. They were the only ones really that saw through it amongst the, the folks that I knew. And they didn't even know me my whole life. We At this point, I'd known them maybe five or six years. And they were the only ones that really saw through it. And I can remember a point after I got saved that when I'm telling them, 
that I got <laughs> saved. They're kind of chuckling a little bit and, and smiling. And, and I remember she says to me, well, that's good. We've been praying for you for that. <laughs> I was dumbfounded that they knew because no one else knew. Anyways, also in the discipleship program, there was a point about baptism and we get okay. there and you're not really supposed to continue until the person gets baptized. Okay. And so you weren't baptized at this point? I was actually, I had been baptized, okay. I'm going to say 2014. Close enough. It was sometime after we started going to that church okay. and before I started the discipleship program. Okay. I had gone to my youth pastor and said, hey, I've never been baptized. I'd like to be baptized. And so we talked about it a little bit. He just kind of shared some verses with me from Acts, how they proved that, you know, baptism is for church membership and and <laughs> so on and so forth. And I just kind of went along with it. I was like, well, you know, I may not exactly agree with that, but I know that we're supposed to be baptized. So that's what I want to do. And I knew better in my head, but I was fully expecting that when I got baptized, I was going to receive some kind of special Anointing, An anointing or, of the power of the Holy Ghost, or something like not that it'd be speaking in tongues or walking around healing people, but I'd be like you'd have some sort of superpower. Different. Yeah, something's gonna be different. I'm gonna be able to read the Bible differently. I'm gonna be more in tune with God. I'm gonna have a direct line of communication. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh yeah, direct yeah. line. Don't have to go through the receptionist or anything. Like just I'm gonna be able to go straight to God, and that's what I was fully expecting. And boy, yet I knew better. Boy, were you disappointed? I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I was in the baptistry. I got baptized and I come up out of the water and nothing. The heavens didn't open up. A dove didn't descend. No. Nothing. No. Man. And I thought that was long. just me. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, everyone's happy and they're clapping and, and whatnot. And at that moment, I'm getting up out of the baptistry and I realize the only thing different about before I got baptized to now is I'm wet. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I remember walking, you go out the back of the baptistry and you, it takes you down to the basement. The bathroom's down there. You change clothes. So I've got dry clothes on. And about that time, church is letting out. And so I'm going upstairs while everyone else is filtering out and leaving. And everyone's shaking my hand, you know, like, congratulations, brother, all this good stuff. And again, inside, I'm like, man, I don't really know if I believe this. Like, I feel like God's just let me down. Wow. And, but that was my expectation was that I was going to receive something special from, you know, the Holy Ghost or whatever. I don't think you're alone in that. I think a lot of people have that expectation that that happens. I definitely, at times before I got baptized, I thought the same thing. I was <laughs> like, that's what, that's what was supposed to happen. And right. thankfully before I got baptized, I realized that it's just a symbol. At least you were a little smarter than I was. <laughs> uh, maybe just. <laughs> so when we got to that point in the discipleship program about baptism, again, you're supposed to stop until the person's baptized. And again, the disciple was like, well, you've already been baptized. So we can continue on. I'm like, cool. Great. All right. And with that, in their discipleship program, if you get baptized and you also become a member of the church, I think that was another stopping point. He's like, well, you're already a member of the church, you know? So we just kind of continued on with the program. And we got down towards the last couple lessons, might have been the last one, the last two. And I remember we had got done with that day and I was getting ready to leave his house. We always met Saturday mornings at his house. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door and I stop and I turn around and I said, can I ask you a question? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. You know, that's kind of why we meet. I said, no, no, no. It, like, this question's going to sound really dumb. We promise you won't laugh at me. Like, it's going to sound stupid. And he's like, of course, man. Ask whatever you want. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. 
So yeah, all right. How do you know if you believe something? Hmm. And he laughed at me. I was like, man, <sighs> appreciate you, guy. And he's just looking at me, and I'm and I'm trying to explain. I'm like, no, really, like if you believe something, like is there any proof that you believe it? Or like, because like I can say I believe in Allah, but that doesn't really mean I believe in Allah. How do you really know if you believe in something? Like, it's a really good question. Just, you know, because your words can just be empty. Yeah, and. I'm like, is there something you have to do in your heart or your soul or spirit? Like, is there something you is have there to... Is there something you have to do? Exactly. <laughs> Tap into to like, okay, now I'm actually believing this. And as I'm trying to explain all this, he's just looking at me with this smirk on his face and I'm just kind of rambling. And then I stop and I was like, wait a minute. So you literally just choose to believe it. <laughs> and he's kind of like trying not to laugh, nodding his head like, you idiot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I think I shared with him, like, I don't know if I'm actually saved. I got some doubts about it. And he was just kind of like, well, you know what to do. Hmm. I was like, yeah, I do. And I left his place, went out, got my pickup and the one that didn't have heat. <laughs> <laughs> was it winter? No, thankfully not. <laughs> it was summer, but it also didn't have AC. But I just sat there in my truck and again prayed the sinner's prayer like I had done many times before. And I felt kind of good after that. Sure. I was like, hey, you know, that's simple. Had a little bit of an emotional response and Exa- felt great. I don't even think I had that. It was just kind of very much cut and dry like, okay, I prayed this prayer again and I, you know, I choose to believe we're good. But the problem is, like you mentioned earlier, that was all like, what had I done? I was still pointing back to me and not to mention the fact that sinner's prayer doesn't even exist in the Bible. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I should have mentioned earlier, yeah, growing up as a kid, I prayed the sinner's prayer multiple times. I remember sitting in the parking lot of Kroger in the town near where we lived with my dad and it was evening time. We're sitting there and I'm talking to him about trying to be saved. This was shortly after we started going to that Baptist church. And we were talking about Romans 10, 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. Right. Because I was asking him, well, you know, yeah, I, I think I believe this. And I prayed the sinner's prayer and, and all this, tried to, you know, confess my sins and be sorry for them and, and ask him to forgive me. And, and then dad said, well, I think we were talking about like, what does the Bible prescribe for salvation? Like, what is it? And so one of the things... Dad said it was like, well, have you confessed Jesus with your mouth? And I was like, well, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, how hard is that to do? I'm like, well, it's not that hard. <laughs> you know, confess Jesus with my mouth right there, one of the most awkward things. Sure, yeah. And sounds like it. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, cool. So I've checked all the boxes. You know, I've prayed the sinner's prayer, I've confessed my sins, I've asked him for forgiveness. I just confessed him with my mouth, I believe. And I still don't feel any different. Hmm. And that was the same story at any time and every time that I'd pray the sinner's prayer or try to get assurance of my salvation or any of that. It was never really any different. It was always the same empty feeling. And when I say I believe, what I mean is I still just knew it in my head. Held on to the knowledge. Yeah. So going back to leaving my disciples' house, being in my truck, praying the sinner's prayer again, that time I actually felt pretty good. And that was in February of 2017. And it's like, okay, hey, maybe this is what it's like to be a Christian. And I'm just expecting to go up and up from here. 
and things were okay for, you know, a few months. And then they just started going back to the way they were. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, I thought I just got saved, like really saved. And now things are just returning to the way they were. So just like no peace in, no. in your heart and just or in your life rather. <laughs> and everything's still the same, you know? I still have harbor hate for my brothers, you know, and I was very prideful mm-hmm. because they would get in trouble with stuff and I wouldn't. Did they all resent you for that too? I know one of them did. Oh man. For sure. <laughs> it, it sounds like you were definitely making some enemies during that time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and brothers and I, we love each other very much, but one of my brothers, he called me self-righteous and there never a time like that I wanted to fight him more wow. than when he would do that. Because you knew it was true? Or oh, because- it was so true. Oh. It cut so, so deep to the heart. And I don't know if he really saw past what he was saying, but what he was saying was so true. And I hated every time he said it. Oh man, yeah, there's never really a time that I wanted to fight him more than when he would say that. So I continued on with life and shortly after that, I started dating some gal and she wanted to marry a Christian guy. I wanted to marry a Christian gal. And we dated for, well, way too long. Um, I drug my feet on that. And finally, just not knowing for sure and all the doubt it was starting to get really difficult to deal with. And for that and and other reasons, I decided to call off the relationship. We're at the point where I was either going to get engaged or we're going to call it off. I called it off. One of the reasons was, well, she wants to marry a Christian guy. Wow. I don't know if I'm actually a Christian. And so that wouldn't be fair for her if, you know, we get married, turns out I'm not actually a Christian. That just wouldn't be fair for her. So... I called it off and I dove headlong into sin. Like really? the depths I had not been before. Still have this reputation of, you know, this godly young man. And when I broke off the relationship, I felt sort of like I had cheated myself. Like, okay, Evan, you would have been married in, you know, six months or whatever it was, some short time. And now you're not. Now you're back to square one. And I dove headlong into pornography. And, mm. you know, I don't believe that people just look at pornography. People use it oh, like they do drugs. Absolutely. It affects the brain in a very similar manner. And people use it to fill a void, just like they do drugs or alcohol or women or whatever. Yeah. And so I used pornography for a good year, maybe more. And still going to church, still got this good reputation, and still even witnessing to guys at work. I mean, at this point, I'm hauling milk, and whenever I'd go and unload milk, there's other guys there unloading their milk at the the creamery, and I'd go talk with them about the gospel. And man, I felt so double-minded there, because here I am using pornography, living in sin, and then I'm trying to tell people about Jesus, who can set them free from that. <laughs> and I'm sure if you're even saved. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm saved and totally a slave to sin. It was like, how more backwards can you get? Yeah, so that's tough. <laughs> just the inconsistency and the hypocrisy. Yeah, that's Just the word. inconsistency and the hypocrisy in my own life was really causing a lot of frustration and driving me mad. I was not as near of a nice person to be around anymore. I was not very nice to my family, 
at that point. So here I am living in this hypocrisy is just tearing me up inside. And I knew, okay, God is the answer to this. So there's no point in leaving. When you're sick, you want to be where there's treatment for that sickness. Okay. Right. So I was like, well, there's no point in like leaving church. I know God's got the answer. So I just keep going there. I'll get it figured out eventually. So I stayed in church. So I had a reputation to keep up. And then I ended up switching jobs and driving a little further distance, driving truck out to Indiana quite a bit. And that provided a lot of time to just sit and think because I ran the same route quite a bit. Okay. And it got to the point where I just get in the truck would take me there, you know, because I've ran the same route so much. Just let your mind wander. And- exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know that's that's comforting thing to uh, people to hear. Truck drivers just got their mind wandering, but but no, actually, I knew the route so well. I knew the traffic flow. I knew the patterns. I knew where to turn everything. So it just allowed me just to think about things. And I'm very much an overthinker, <laughs> and I thought about stuff way way out to to you know thought where would my life go if I went this direction or that direction, and just tried to think about where I'd end up or how things would go. And every time that I would think about my life and take it out as far as I could go, I'd always end up at this conclusion. Wherever I end up, if I don't have Christ, that doesn't really matter. Right. And I got to this conclusion that if I didn't have my family, if they completely disowned me, if my health was absolutely terrible, you know, scraping boils off my skin, (laughs) if I was being hunted down and persecuted, if I had no wealth, nothing to my name, and basically it was just the scum of the earth, the off-scouring, as Paul says, (laughs) if that was my life, but I had Christ, at least at the end of that miserable existence, I would know that I would go to see him, right? And it would be worth it. Sure, the hope. But the worst part about all that is I didn't have him. Yeah. So you just didn't have hope. Like you were just kind of, would you say depressed at that time? Extremely. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it. I was, I was so good at putting on, you know, the happy face and being the guy telling jokes at work and always being the positive, upbeat guy. And yet I was so depressed and so torn up inside. That was all just a mask to hide it. And I didn't exactly realize that I was doing it at first. So being able to drive and think about stuff, take it out to the umpteenth degree, realizing that I didn't have Christ, that was that was scary because I didn't have any hope, didn't have any peace, did not have Jesus, did not have salvation. Right. But still I clung on to, well, you know, I I know I prayed that sinner's prayer back in 2017 when I'm in my, sitting in my truck and that's what's required for salvation, you know, so so I'm saved, I'm just in a in a low spot in life and it was just this constant back and forth battle in my mind of, you know, am I saved, am I not, where's the proof, I see this, you know, and it just constantly back and forth it was so frustrating because I could convince myself one day that, yeah, I was saved and I'm loving the brethren and, you know, I'm doing good works and all this stuff that, you know, First John talks about. And the next day I'm like, well, you're just, you know, sucking on pornography. So, you know, 
you've really saved. You really think you're saved. Wow. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone struggles with something and, and, you know, it'll take me some time and I'll get over it and it'll save me from it and teach me, you know, how to walk in righteousness. And then the next day like, <laughs> I'm not seeing it. You're still, still walking in unrighteousness, you know, both feet up to your knees in unrighteousness. And so this back and forth, back and forth, just caused no lack of torment in my mind and depression, like you said. Were you living alone at this time too? No. So when I started driving for the company, when I was going to Indiana, okay, uh, that was when I started living with my brother. Okay. Yeah. So you at least had your brother at the time, but yeah, I had my brother there. But before all that, I was still living at home. Okay. So when I was still living at home, some friends of mine, same friends that really only ones that caught on, they gave me a No Greater Joy magazine. Okay. So these friends of mine, the only ones that really saw through the front that I was putting on, and right, they never came and said like, hey, Evan, you're not saved. You need to repent and get saved. They were always very friendly to me. We could have discussions about the Bible. We could have discussions about pretty much anything in life. And, you know, we saw differently on a lot of things. Like I was a big KJV only guy. Okay. They were like, well, we've been on that train too, but you know, we're not real big on KJV anymore. We use this translation and we could have wonderful discussions and still be great friends afterwards. Maybe we disagreed on this or that. Yeah. And the point I'm trying to make is they were just always, they continued to just be friends. They never preached at me. They never like called me out and like, hey, you're a big hypocrite and, and all this, which there's a time and a place for that. Oh, there definitely but is. I, but it's almost like they knew that they weren't the ones doing the saving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and I get to a later point in, in my testimony where, you know, that actually happened. But these folks, they just continued to be my friends, just continued to always point me to Jesus Christ, point me back to the word and encourage me. So one day I was at their house having lunch with them. So this this couple is in their 50s. Okay. And I learned a lot, worked with him quite a bit doing different things. He does auto body repair and just phenomenal what he does. I've seen him take minivans, cut them in half and put the two different pieces back together. And you have no idea where the seam is. I mean, this guy is phenomenal at what he does. And she is just one of the sweetest people that you'll ever meet. And you won't be able to get away from their place without them inviting you to lunch. <laughs> so we're having lunch one day and we get done and they gave me this magazine, this No Greater Joy magazine, and it was the February 2020 edition. And in there was an article titled Making Your Calling Sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll see if we can put a link in the description for this as well. Okay. I highly recommend everyone else go read this. So they had talked to me, you know, they're friends with Michael Pearl and they'd been down to his place and they'd tell me stories about, you know, this crazy guy that could cut trees down and drop him right on a pop can and all this. <laughs> and then they gave me this magazine and I never made the connection. I was like, oh, this is the same guy that they've been telling me stories about their friend. And then they give me this magazine that has a lot of stuff written by him. It's actually, you know, like his ministry organization. Sure. So I took it being polite. It's like, thank you. And she said like, Hey, there's some stuff in here that you might like, you know, this is right up your alley. And I was like, Oh, I appreciate that. But I, I probably won't, you know, have time to read it. You know, I've already got a stack of books at home that I'm not reading right now that I need to read, but I took it anyways, being polite. I took, went home and I just put it on my desk and it got lost in all my other papers and whatnot. Well, then one day I was cleaning up my desk, sorting through stuff, getting rid of things. And I pulled that out. I was like, Oh, Hey, this is what, you know, my friends gave me. 
And so I open it up and I start reading. I often start reading through stuff when I should be actually organizing and sorting stuff. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there reading this, reading, I don't remember what the first article was about. Uh, maybe it was this one, but I remember getting to this article and reading through it. And then at the end of the article, he has like a faith test. Like there's 13 different points um, that he goes through. And he's like, if you can answer yes to these points, it's a good indicator that you're not saved. Interesting. And I was like, okay, this, this ought to be interesting. So in the magazine, they had like, you know, you could check off next to these different okay. things. Okay. And I picked up a pen and read through them and checked the ones that applied to me. And I got down, finished number 13. And I looked back and I was like, oh my goodness, I have checked way too many of these. <sighs> and I closed it up and hid it under my stack of papers. I didn't want anyone to find it. I didn't want to see it again. It was so convicting. I was like, wow, this, wait a minute, that's me. I might not actually be saved. So wait, you hid it away trying to just put it out of your mind and get rid of it. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. You know, like one the first one here, I'll just read a couple of them. The first one, false converts avoid conversations about the Lord Jesus Christ. They will change the subject or make some judgment about another to divert their attention. You know, this one, I was like, well, you know, actually I like talking about him. It was always very difficult for me to get his name out, like the Lord Jesus Christ. It always seemed like that came so hard and I had to force myself, but I enjoyed talking about theology, enjoyed talking about the Bible and, you know, controversial points like alcohol or whatever. Okay. So I was like, well, maybe that's not me. But then number two, they enjoy faulting others and feel a sense of relief when others prove to be hypocrites. I'm like, yeah, because I was all the time casting judgment on people. And you get down towards the end, number 12, this list of 13 signs of being a false convert leaves them feeling uncomfortable or critical of this article. <laughs> Their tendency is not to share it with people they feel might be false converts, but to put it away and forget about it. Wow. And that is exactly what I did. It made me feel so uncomfortable and I put it away and didn't want to think about it. And 13, their pride will not allow them to admit that they are lost sinners. Their reputation means more to them than actually being saved. Oh my goodness. I was cut to the heart when I read this and I didn't want to think about it again. I put it away. I didn't want anyone to find it. And I never brought it up with my friends, never talked about it. The friends that gave it to me. Do you think they knew that you read it? I don't know so much if they knew that I read it as much as I think they knew what was in it. Okay. And they were probably just praying that you would yeah, read it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so June of 2019, I'm still with my girlfriend and things aren't really going a good direction. They're just kind of not moving. Okay. We're just kind of, at this point, just kind of going through the motions. And I said, well, let's take a month apart and not talk to each other and just seek the Lord. I'm also not going to go to this church that we're going to because I've got a bunch of people saying, yeah, you guys should be married. And a bunch of people saying, no, probably shouldn't be. And so I got getting counsel both ways. I'm like, well, I'll just separate from that and just seek the Lord and see what he wants. So in that time, these friends, they said, hey, well, if you're not going to church, why don't you come with us? We've got some friends that are ex-Amish and <laughs> they just built a gymnasium. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Ex Ex-Amish built a gymnasium. gymnasium. Like I'm thinking ex-Amish, like maybe they bought a black Honda Odyssey <laughs> and still have their horses. Not 
they're wearing sleeveless shirts and jeans. They're wearing people clothes. <laughs> using chainsaws and driving semi-trucks, you know, cutting and hauling logs. It's not what I was thinking. Right. And so when they said gymnasium, I'm like, there is no way. But I went with them and we ended up going up to ICA. And it was the day after some of the family. Sorry, what's ICA? Oh, In Christ Alone Gymnasium. So I went up there with them and it was right at the end of June, right towards the end of June. And they were kind of having a big open house because they had just built the gymnasium, just finished it. And so Emmanuel came in and he preached and there was a gathering of probably a hundred people or so. And my friends knew Andrew, they had known him for several years. Okay. And I guess I should give my friends names. Uh, I'll just say Rick and Julie. Okay. So Rick and Julie are friends with Andrew. Andrew's sort of the guy that runs the thing up there. He owns the farm where they built this gymnasium. And he was the one that had the vision to do this. And his younger brother came in for that open house. He's a missionary. And so he came in and preached to the group. And I remember being very impressed that a guy this young could preach like that. He just preached the gospel so plainly, so clearly. And I met a few folks there at the church, and I think I briefly met Andrew. And then the next Sunday, Rick and Julia were like, well, hey, why don't you go with us? We're going to go see our Mennonite friends down in Southern Ohio. I'm like, <laughs> Exomish, Mennonite, whatever, let's go. And so I went with them and met their Mennonite friends. And the Mennonite man and I, I'm forgetting his name. We stayed up and talked till two, three in the morning about okay. scripture. And I'd say the big thing I got out of that was I saw very much what religion was. Okay. Because he's a, still a religious man. And I, I don't know if he's saved or not, but still living very much in Mennonite faith, Mennonite community. And so I got a very up close glimpse of religion. Like I hadn't really seen it before. Okay. Was it like looking in a mirror? It's kind of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'd never really associated, you know, going to this Baptist church and just being, you know, just going to church and being, you know, quote, Christian as just plain old religion. And so then I see it here in this person. I was like, wow, okay. This guy seems like he's trying to do all these things to attain favor with God. <laughs> I was like, huh, that sounds familiar. So we disagreed on a lot of things as we were talking. Sure. Different religion. <laughs> yeah. Just a very good picture to me of like, hey, this is religion. Like, oh, okay. So then I ended up going to a couple of different churches around town for the rest of that month. And then ended up meeting back up with my girlfriend and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to break this off. And so then we went our ways. That's when I started hauling milk and dove right into pornography and okay, depression. Yeah. And, and then I ended up working for another trucking company and going out to Indiana and having plenty of time to think about stuff. I'm telling my story in a circle. Right. Like I'm having to loop back and, and catch people up. It's okay. I, I'm following. So okay. I, yeah. At least we got one person following. <laughs> so my friends had given me this magazine, read through it, read, read the article. Hit it away. Hit it away in my desk. Didn't want to see it again. Didn't want to think about it. And finally, like just the hypocrisy was too much. And I finally, I just, I started talking to people and asking them, you know, how do you know if you're really saved? And it seemed like all the folks that I talked to, I don't think I ever talked to Rick and Julie about it. Okay. 
Just was that a pride thing or just? I don't know. I, okay. I, I don't know if maybe I, I was too embarrassed to because, you know, these are good friends of mine and I didn't want them to think that at this point, I still had no idea that they were onto me. No idea. Right. And I guess I didn't want to ruin that reputation that I had with them. And so that I would go and talk with, you know, someone at this church or some other person in my life I knew that I knew was a godly person. There was a guy that I did some construction work with for a time. And we actually took a day to just talk about this. And we should have been doing the remodel work, but we just took a long, like rest of the day lunch break (laughs) to talk about this stuff. And there were a couple different folks that I would talk to. And every time that I would bring up the subject, you know, they would always say, well, I think you're saved. You just have doubts about it. And you couldn't doubt it if you didn't have it. Interesting. So you probably have it. You just need to grow. Wow. I was like, wow, you totally just use circular reasoning there. And I'm in the exact same spot. Like I knew that much. Right. It got so frustrating. I finally just stopped talking to people that I knew back home. I just stopped talking to them about it because I'm like, well, if everyone's just going to use circular reasoning on me to try and coddle my soul and convince me that I'm saved, like, no, I need someone that I can talk to that's like actually will tell me the truth and put it straight. And not that I know the intention of these folks. I'm not, right, I'm not right. speaking bad about them. They just didn't have the right words to For say sure. at that to get, point. To get through to you. Yeah, no kidding. So did you have someone in your life who you knew would tell it to you like it was? Well, I thought so. Someone that I knew very, very well. And I sat down to talk with them and I said, hey, what I'm about to ask you about, I know you care about me very much. Please don't just go and say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I think, I think you're actually saved or whatever, just because you care about me a lot and, and don't want to think about that thought of me not being saved. And I said, I'm not sure if I'm actually saved. And I tried to talk with them. And the very first thing they did was tell me, I think you're actually saved. I'm like, it's not helpful. <laughs> I love you so much, but I have never really been more ticked with you. <laughs> you did exactly what I told you not to do. <laughs> right, right. So I finally just kind of stopped talking with people back home about it and things went south at the church that I was at and there was a disagreement. I didn't agree with the way, you know, something was handled and they saw it from their side. I saw it from my side and, you know, there were some other folks with me that we saw it this way and we want to try and make reconciliation and it just, it didn't work out. So I chose to leave. And at this point I'm like, well, where else am I going to go? And I thought, well, I go up there to ICA, right? That's two hours away. And I don't know anyone up there. They don't know me. And at this point, I'd only been to ICA twice. That time when my friends took me, uh, Rick and Julie took me and uh, to their open house or, you know, grand opening of the gymnasium or whatever it was. Okay. And then I'd gone one other time. Maybe I'd gone a couple times. I remember one time in particular that I went. Emmanuel came back in, in November of 2019, and he was preaching a two-day freedom from sin. So he took Saturday and Sunday to preach three or four lessons or whatever on freedom from sin. Okay. Like, this was something I'd never really heard about. Like, I always thought, you know, when you get saved as a Christian, you always have to battle it. Like, your dad has said, feed the white dog, starve the black dog. Right, right. So I'd never heard that analogy until I met your dad, but... Uh, it was very much that, you know, take up your cross daily and you're doing the work and making sure that you're suppressing those evil thoughts and you're taking them captive and, and all that. And never really any like, okay, it is God which worketh in you 
both to will and to do his good pleasure that were sanctified through Jesus Christ. So I go up there to this meeting and there's some folks that were there from Tennessee and they they were sitting around talking and one of the guys, JD and Joshua sure, yeah, and Jared, they're all sitting around talking. What a good group of guys. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't think so at the time because man, they were bashing Baptists about their, just what I explained about this, this doctrine of, you know, feeding the, the white dog and not the black dog. And they're contrasting that with, you know, sanctification by Jesus Christ alone. And I had never called myself a Baptist. And I'd always said, I'm not willing to die on that hill, not willing to die for that name. Okay. So I found it a little interesting when they started talking about this, I got offended. I'm like, wait a minute, you guys are bashing Baptists. Don't you know that Baptists are like, they're as close to being right as we've got, at least on this earth. And so I got into it with them and they were just very polite, just fed me scripture, a lot of it from Romans. And then Jared finally challenged me. He said, go listen to Mike Pearl's Romans series. That's a good series. Okay. So being a truck driver, I had plenty of time to listen to all 17 hours of it. It's a long series. And I listened to it twice and I started to understand better what they were talking about, but still didn't quite get it because here I am still unsaved. Right. So (laughs) I remember telling my dad about it when I started, I listened to a couple hours of it and I said, Hey dad, you know, here's this guy. He seems to be pretty good at, you know, explaining the Bible. You might enjoy listening to him because he liked to listen to different people. And he listened to a little bit and he was like, no, 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 this guy's just arrogant and full of it. You don't really want to listen to him. Like, okay. He does come across that way. (laughs) He does very much so. And like I said, I listened to it twice all the way through and I still didn't get it. And then things went south at the church I was going to and I decided I'll just leave. So then I just started every Sunday driving two hours. Driving two hours. Two hours. Well, it's a little over two hours, but... One way? One way. Oh my goodness. It's a little more than, but when you're a little heavy on the throttle, you can make it in two. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely helps. Yes. As long as you don't get caught. (laughs) Right. Right. So I started going up there every Sunday and here Andrew and his older brother Moses, they would switch off preaching and the Amish only go to school to the eighth grade. Okay. All right. And I've gone through school to the 12th grade and then done some schooling above and beyond that. Right. And my family, I come from a bunch of cerebral knuckleheads. Right. I am one myself. And not disagreeing. (laughs) Especially when it comes to English, my grandmother, my dad, my mother, they know English, know grammar well. And that definitely rubbed off by no choice of our own. And so here are these two guys that... English is their second language. They've only got an eighth grade education and they're standing up trying to tell me in my language that they can't even pronounce the words properly. They got the definitions wrong. They got the usage and the tense wrong. And they're trying to tell me what the Bible says. And I'm sitting in the back like, these guys use that word wrong. That's not what that means. Missed the tense of that. Plus I've sat through seven years of teaching at the Baptist church, probably one of the best preachers in the country. And I mean, the guy's written several books. The guy is a contributor to a very well-known Baptist, not magazine, but a biannual book that they put out. I mean, very smart guy. So I've sat under that for seven years and now here these two guys from the sticks trying to tell me what the Bible says. And I was not having any of it, but they just preached the gospel over and over again plain 
and true to the point where I'm like, is this all they know? <laughs> like, that's all they talk about. You know, it's not like they went to the same passage every single time. Right. But they could preach the gospel from just about anywhere in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? That was impressive. Yeah. And they could just preach it very plainly. So in course of time going there, I had had conversations with Andrew. I had had conversations with Mose because here are guys that don't know me. They don't know my background and they seem to really have a good hold on the gospel. And I'd heard their stories about how they had come out of the Amish religion and gotten saved by reading the Bible. I'm like, okay, so these guys seem to actually really know the gospel. And so I would talk with Andrew about stuff and he never, never once said, yeah, I think you're saved or or you've just, you know, you've got some doubts you got to work through. He would just continue to point me back to Christ every single time. And I remember talking with Moses and we were talking about freedom from sin. I'm like, these got to be some of the most arrogant people on the face of the earth. Do they really think that they can be completely free from sin? And I remember getting into it with Moses one time and he never lost his cool. And he's just very, just show me verse after verse. And I'd bring up verses and he'd explain what those mean. And it it was difficult to get away from just how genuine these guys were when it came to preaching the gospel and just in life in general. Andrew's wife, Hannah, is one of the sweetest people on the face of the earth. Absolutely. And so many times Andrew and Hannah would have me over for dinner. I'd drive up maybe on a Saturday and, you know, help out with cutting firewood or whatever it was that the group was doing there. And then they'd let me stay at their place. So I was right there for church the next morning. And we would stay up and talk till 11, 12 o'clock at night. Poor Andrew, because then he'd have to get up and preach the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) But they were just very nice and hospitable and genuine people. So you're dealing with all this at the time. And I I know the one person who you talked to who kind of said, yeah, kind of set you straight. So I was having dinner with Andrew and Hannah and one of Andrew's younger brothers, Enos, had just gotten home from the mission field. And we were having dinner and Andrew, Hannah and their family and I, Enos wasn't there. And Hannah mentioned something about Enos. And she says, hey, you know, I think this guy just recently got saved. I was like, oh, here's another young guy who just got saved. It's all new and fresh. Right. I need to talk to this guy. I felt an overwhelming sense of need to talk to him. I'd never met this guy. And then I met him sometime there, maybe a Sunday or whatever. And then we had the Ohio Fellowship Camp coming up. And the first day of the Ohio Fellowship Camp, I told him, hey, Enos, I really need to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, sure. Come find me anytime. You know, I've got something going on right now, but come find me anytime during the camp and I'd love to talk with you. Cool. And then I avoided him like the plague the rest of the camp. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, I was scared to sit down and actually like tell him, you know, all that had gone on. And then finally I was like, okay, Evan, this is stupid. You're risking embarrassment for hell, basically. Yeah. Like, go talk to this guy. So I went and found him at lunch the last day, and I said, Enos, I need to talk to you, like, right now at lunch. So we went and got food, we went out sat outside, and we're talking, and he just shares his testimony with me. And it was uncanny how similar our testimonies were as far as, like, growing up in religious backgrounds, yeah. always desiring God, always having that want to do right, that desire to do right and to be right. And we'd had things go south with a girlfriend and, you know, things then went south with church. He ended up obviously leaving the Amish church. I had left the church I was at. Falling deep into sin. Yeah, falling, you know, diving headlong into sin. And, And then he was telling me about how he got saved. 
And that was very powerful, his testimony that he shared with me. And it was very much not by anything that he did. Mm. And that had a big impact on me. Right. So then I'm still driving, working, and I never stayed out overnight unless they would let me know in advance. Well, I ended up staying out two nights in a row without any advance warning. So here I am at this truck stop up in Perrysburg, Ohio, and I have 16-hour wait. Oh, my goodness. And I am bored out of my mind. So I start just walking down the country roads out there, and I called Enos, and we just started talking. And he just very naturally, like he does when he talks with people, starts talking about Jesus Christ. Yes, he does. And he starts asking me questions and very convicting questions. And I did not have any of it. I was given a bunch of BS answers back and he was just very calm and patient and just kept, you know, prodding and asking questions. And I was getting really frustrated and I just didn't want to admit, I guess, I was still stuck in the, like, I think I could actually be saved. Like, can I just have like a sign that I'm saved? But yeah, I don't have any peace. I don't have that really showing the fruit, so I might not be saved. And then finally, I guess maybe he'd had enough. I don't know. <laughs> but he just finally he just stops and he says, Evan, I guess you can't be saved. Wow. When he said that, I was rather ticked. <laughs> and I hung up on him. <laughs> Really? I hung up on him and I remember walking back on that country road here after hearing those words. And earlier in that day, before I'd called him, I'd been walking around talking to God. And I was really frustrated with him. Like, why can't you just give me a sign? Like, can you just make this easy on me? Like, if I'm actually yours, if I'm actually saved, help me out here and give me a sign. Right. Then the very next passage that I would read my Bible was John 12, I believe where Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Mm -hmm. And there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus basically said, you don't get a sign, but my death, burial, and resurrection. Because if I give you a sign, you'll believe that. Because you already messed it up here. If I give you a sign, you'll just continue to mess it up. So the only sign that you get is the very thing that saves you. Wow. It's like he knew what he was doing. Exactly. <laughs> I'd been arguing with God earlier in the day and was really frustrated with him. And then Enos says, you know, I, Evan, I guess you can't be saved. And I hung up on him. I start walking back to my truck. And I remember walking. I can take you to that spot in Perrysburg, Ohio, and show you exactly where I was walking on the side of the road. And there's cars coming down the road. And I th was thinking, me, Evan Amston, is on his way to hell. Hmm. If one of these cars is off this road and hits me, I'll wake up in hell. And God will be completely just and righteous in that. And I will have nothing to say against it. I am on my way to hell unless I get this thing figured out. Man. And I was so lost. Just all that article, making your calling election sure, a lot of that started to come into mind. And I felt so lost. And I was just added misery for the rest of my life. And I would just pray and ask God, just save me. I beg him, like, can you just, just save me? Please save me. You know, like I've tried to confess all my sins. I've asked you for forgiveness. What, you know, like what more do you want? Done all the works you've asked me to do. Exactly. <laughs> and finally, um, I would just start reading about different things in the Bible. And I'm sure a lot of it was prompted by what Andrew and Moses and, and Emmanuel had been preaching. 
And so I started studying out different words like received, accept, surrender, and phrases like make Jesus Lord of your life, ask him into your heart, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> the sinner's prayer. Come to find out that phrases like accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, make him Lord of your life, ask Jesus into your heart, those never appear in the Bible. Not even once. Isn't that crazy? The sinner's prayer never once appears in the Bible. Paul had a yeah, perfect opportunity to tell Absolutely. him to pray sinner's prayer. Yeah. The Philippian jailer said, you know, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe. Wait, that's it? That's yeah, all I said? Exactly. Well, I said a little more than that, but the, the gist of it was, you know, believe. believe. No, for sure. It was nothing that he could do. Right. So the word surrender never even appears in the Bible. Not even in the Old Testament with all the battles and whatnot. The word just never appears in the Bible. Now, obviously I'm talking about the, the in the King James Bible right. and sinner's prayer is not in there. And then I look up the word accept, you know, accept Jesus into your heart. Well, God is the one that does the accepting or rejecting, not us. I didn't find any verses that had to do with mankind or me accepting or rejecting God. It's all whether or not God accepts someone's person. It says God accepts no man's person, you know, and then the word received like the only verse that I found that I could really construe that was in John. I think there may have been a few others, but in John 1, 12, to as many as it received him, to them gave you power right. to become the sons of God. Yeah. But the other thing I found was the word believe. 284 times it's used in the Bible. And 85 of those times are in the book of John alone. And the word repent never appears in the book of John. So I'm like, okay, he's obviously trying to tell us something here. So I'm continuing to go to church there at ICA and fellowship with that group and, and listen to the gospel preached. But I was at the point where like, I'm done with this. It doesn't make sense. I've tried my whole life to do this. I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've tried to believe it hard enough. And you know, all those thoughts of like, well, did I really understand what I was doing when I was younger? And you know, did I believe it hard enough? Did I say the right thing? Did I make sure to confess Jesus with my mouth? All these things. I'm like, I have done pretty much everything that I see in the Bible as what needs to be done for salvation. You know, I try to believe it and all that. Keyword try. Try. You kept trying. <laughs> and I was at the point where I was like, I'm done with this. Christianity just doesn't work. Ever, all those people that would get up and talk about, you know, this peace and this this joy and freedom that they had when they get saved. I'm like, I'm doing all the same stuff you're doing, and I don't have that. <laughs> Why is it not working? And <laughs> I decided that I was done. Sure. Like I know God exists, but the salvation thing is not working. Why keep trying? And still living in sin. And I decided I was just going to leave church. I'm just going to ease on out, start skipping a Sunday here and there, and then leave. Because right. if I just jump off the deep end, I didn't want to cast a shadow on you know my family's faith or my friends or anything. Because I still had this good reputation. And i like, well, I'll just back on out. So August 8th of 2020, Saturday, I living in sin and felt guilty and decided to read my Bible. And I read Romans 8, 24 and 25. And it says, for ye are saved by hope. And then there's a colon or a semicolon. But one of those is period. Like that's a complete thought. Ye are saved by hope. There's another verse. For one a man seeth, what if he yet hope for? I'm like, I was looking for a sign. I wanted God to like prove it to right. me or whatever. Sure. But he's like, no, you're saved by this. Yeah. And hope is not the same hope that we use today. We're like, oh, I hope that I win the lottery. Right. No, it's a sure and steadfast hope. It's Jesus. Hope of eternity. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a promise. 
that you can count on that hasn't yet come to pass. So I just read that. And then I went to church that next morning on the ninth and I did not want to be there. Mm. I said, I was like, I'm just here to keep my reputation. I'm on my way out. I was there out of spite and I'm sitting there in church listening. Moses is preaching, is preaching through John chapter three about Nicodemus. And it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This guy is at the top of his game when it comes to religion. You know, this guy has a good reputation among his peers. This guy knows the scriptures very well. This guy could correct people when they were quoting it wrong. You know, this guy had done all the right things. If any man could have attained salvation by doing works, it probably would have been this guy. Yeah. And the very first thing that Jesus says to him in verse two, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, he recognizes who Jesus is. The same way of like, I recognize who Jesus was. I recognize, you know, salvation comes through him, but I just didn't get it yet. Right. He said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And the very first thing that Jesus said, and Jesus answered said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus knew Nicodemus' heart. Jesus knew that all of the religion, all the things that Nicodemus had done wouldn't save him. And obviously there's the uh, discourse there between Jesus and Nicodemus. And you get down to verse 14 and Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Hmm. So then Moses, the guy preaching, goes back to Numbers 21 and he talks about the children of Israel in the wilderness and how, you know, the serpents are biting them and they're much people of Israel died. And he tells Moses, make a serpent and put it on a pole and everyone who looks at it will be healed. So Moses makes his serpent out of brass, puts it on a pole, anyone who looks at it will be healed. So Moses, the guy preaching is <laughs> a little, little confusing. Yep. Moses, the guy preaching this is explaining the serpent. Why a serpent? Because that's the very thing that was killing them. It's the very yep. fir- thing that was biting them and they were dying. And what is the serpent a picture of? It's a picture of sin. Okay, you go back to Genesis chapter 3. You see the serpent came in the wilderness. It's the very seed of sin. So the serpent on the pole re- represents sin, the thing that was killing the people. Then brass. Why brass? Read the first like 15 verses of Exodus 38. All of the instruments used for judging the sin of the people, the altar, the tongs, the brazen labor, everything was made out of brass. Brass is a picture of judgment. Yep. And then put on a pole. Why? It was put up where people could see him, the, the, the brass serpent. <laughs> so you can picture these people, they're dying, they're bit by a snake and they're dying. And they look at it and they're healed. But they wouldn't go look at that unless they believed what Moses said. Right. It doesn't make any sense. The very thing that's killing you, and now you're going to look at a sculpture of it and be healed? That doesn't make any sense. Like, you should be, like, sucking the venom out of the the wound and (laughs) spitting it out or something, like, trying to do something, you know. And so you can picture some guy that gets healed, and he runs back to the tent, and he tells another guy, hey, I just got healed. And this guy is like... What do you mean? He said, well, well, Moses made the serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and you know, he told us that anyone who looks at it will be healed. And I looked at it, and I'm healed. And you know, this guy, he's laying in his tent dying, and he's like, that's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And he's like, no, really. And his friend's like trying to pull the tent back, and he's like, look, it's right there in the middle of the camp. If you look at it, you'll be healed too. 
and his friend's not having any of it. Why? Because he doesn't believe. It's preposterous. It doesn't make any sense. And finally, his friend convinces him. And he kind of sits up and he looks off in the distance and he sees this brazen serpent up on a pole and he's healed. And he's like, you're right. I'm healed. He's like, yeah, I know. Now go tell the next guy. And they start running through the camp telling people. So anyways, Moses reads through this passage, explains the imagery there. He goes back to John chapter three, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. That word as is a comparison word. It means in a similar form, fashion, or function as this, so is this. Right. So in the same way that the children of Israel were healed just by looking at the very thing that was killing them, so were we. So will the son of man be lifted up. And on a whiteboard behind Moses, leaned up against the wall there while he was preaching, people write different verses and whatnot each Sunday. And someone had written 2 Corinthians 5.21 on there. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no, no sin, sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ became sin on that cross. God judged our sin on that cross and he was put up where everyone could see him. And now, what is it that we have to do to be saved? Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. That's it. That's it. So here I am listening to this, and it finally makes sense. Like, oh, it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm just the beneficiary. I could have told you all that before. I told other people that. Right. But at this point, it finally clicked, finally made sense. And I just stop right there. Moses continues preaching on through the rest of John chapter three. I just sit there and I prayed and it wasn't the prayer that saved me. And I was not trying to get saved at this point. At this point, I was just being brutally honest with God. I was ready to give up on him. I was ready to leave Christianity and be done with it. And I just stopped. It was kind of like, you know, a last farewell. Like I just acknowledged, I said, God, everything that I've been doing up until this point is just that, what I've been doing. Hmm. And none of that has worked. If you want me to be saved, you're going to have to do it. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross and what you've made me to be. I was not trying to get saved. Like I said, I was just being brutally honest with God for once. And the strangest thing happened. I just had a very calm peace come over me. <laughs> there was no jumping up, shouting, glory, hallelujah, or any emotional. I just, no, I don't think anyone even knew that I was praying. And I just had this really calm peace that came over me. And it was like he said, okay, you can rest. It's done. And the words of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is, is finished. finished. Never had more meaning than they did that day. And it's only by what he's done that I'm saved. Amen. And it wasn't even that I believed hard enough on it. It was just, I chose to agree with God and believe what he said and count what he said to be true about me when it wasn't. And he counted that faith for righteousness, just like he did with Abraham. And I didn't really realize what had happened. Like I said, I wasn't trying to get saved. And it was maybe a week later, we we're out tubing on the lake with Andrew and a bunch of folks from church. Andrew and I, we get done. Andrew and I are putting the boat away and I'm driving the boat and coming up to the dock because he had got a phone call. And so I'm driving it in for him and he 
gets off the phone and we get the boat loaded up and we're driving the boat and truck and trailer around to where everyone else was at. And I'm talking to him. I said, you know, that message that Moses preached last Sunday, I think I finally, I'm not sure quite what happened, but I felt a little different after that. And I might've understood it. I'm not sure. And he starts laughing at me and I'm like, Andrew, why are you laughing? I'm being serious here. Like I'm like trying to pour my heart out to you and you're laughing at me. And he's like, no, 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 it's not, it's not that. It's not that. I'm like, what? He's like, I was just on the phone with Hannah on the boat. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like, she was just telling me, I think Evan's going to get it here real soon. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And that was kind of like, you know, God didn't have to do that, but that was kind of like, I don't know. It's not, not the sign that I was saved, but right. it was just him saying, yeah, you're mine. Yeah. And, you know, I looked back months later and I realized I have not once used pornography. Hmm. What? No, he freed me from that. Yes, when I got did. saved. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free, be free indeed. indeed. Make you free. 2 Corinthians 5.20, and it made us to be his righteousness. It's something that he does, and it's not a process either. No, just as he made Jesus to be sin, he made us to be righteous. Yeah, a completely unfair exchange, all to our benefit. Yes. And all to his glory. And I used to hate reading like through Revelation 4 and 5, describing the throne. Like that just ever and ever, they're falling down and throwing their crowns at his feet, like can you get a little more creative, God? <laughs> and that is one of the most beautiful things now. Revelation chapter five, all of the saints from all over the world now falling down before his throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. You're worthy to receive honor and glory and power and strength and might. That is one of the most beautiful things now because he is so worthy of that because of what he's done. Yes, he is. So it's been almost two years now, August 9th of 2020. It's been almost two years now. And that peace has not waned. Mm. That peace is still there. And he's only continued to teach me how to walk in his spirit. Have I done it perfectly? No. But I know that I am not bound by that sin that I was before. I tried to stop so many times. I told myself, I can stop this anytime. I just won't look at it. I just won't use it. I couldn't. No. I was a slave to you it. Can't you? Yes. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm his. I'm yes. his child. I'm his friend. I'm redeemed. I'm loved. All because of what he did. And yeah, I would counsel anyone else that is in a similar position. There are so many folks who grew up in church, and I understand them now. They grew up and they leave church. You know, it doesn't work for them. Well, that's right. Church doesn't work for you. It's not church. It's not going and punching your time card. It's not living in that religion. It's not the things that you do. It's not getting baptized. It's not getting confirmed or any of that. It doesn't have to do with what you know. It's what he has done and who he has made you to be. And you believe that. You count it to be so regardless of your experience. And he counts that as righteousness to your account. So I would just counsel anyone else who's in that position, don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you and just stop trying to do it on your own. It doesn't work. I tried it for 22 years and it doesn't work. His 33 years of perfect righteousness, that's enough. 
that's sufficient. Stop working. Stop trying to do it on your own. Realize that you can't do it. And all those things that you try and do don't work. And knowledge does help. Like those different words and phrases I studied out, that helped me a lot because we get so stuck in our Christianese language. I will never tell someone to surrender to Christ. (laughs) Nope. Because people don't surrender to him. His enemies, he comes and they become his footstool. I don't want to be his enemy. I want to be his friend. So don't try to surrender to him. Don't try to clean yourself up to take a bath. Don't try to confess your sins to him. He already knows them. He wants you to believe what he has done for you. Go read that making your calling and election sure. All of you, you know, religious hypocrites out there. <laughs> look, I can call you that because I was one. Go read that and keep reading the Bible. Because every time I opened the Bible and I had like that, I wanted him to give me a sign. The next thing I would read was that passage out of John 12. Or when I'm like, God, how do I get saved? Just how do I get saved? Romans 8, 24 and 25. For you're saved by hope. You know, his word is in there and it will speak to you. He wants you to be saved more than you do. Yes, he does. Continue to read his word. Don't give up on him. And when you're frustrated and stuck and it doesn't make sense, that's a very good place to be. Yes, it is. And just stop trying to do it on your own. Just look to Jesus, Isaiah 45, 22. Just look to him. How hard is it to look? You know, how hard is it just to... So easy. I mean, for some of us, it is hard to believe. I understand it's that. So it's it's so easy and it only took you 22 years to do it. <laughs> exactly. Probably 22 seconds or whatever when I was... Yeah, but it wasn't the prayer. No. It was him. It was him that did it. Yeah, it is finished. It is finished. Stop putting yourself on that cross. There were three crosses up there, two malefactors, and one cross where you and I should have been. And the perfect, spotless, righteous lamb of God was hanging there for you and me. Stop putting yourself on that cross. Stop putting your works up there. He hung on that cross for you. You can't do it. We want to. Every religion in the world tries to do something to get to God. We can't. He already did it. So let him be the sacrifice for you and let him purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, as it says in Hebrews 9.14. He is the great high priest. He has sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat for you. You didn't sprinkle his blood there. You didn't sprinkle your blood there. He sprinkled his blood for you. Just believe on him. Final question. Oh, you ready for Jesus to come back? I would love for him to come back because for many reasons, I'd get to see him. I get to be with him, be done with this mess. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm young and I'm like, ah, I'd still like to, you know, get married. I'd still like to sure. see some more people come to know the Lord. But you're no longer scared of him coming back. No, no. Actually, I think about the trumpet sound and I'm like, man, that's probably be a good time (laughs) whenever lord whenever it's up to him you know it is definitely up to him yeah well thank you so much for sharing all that i know we went very long hopefully joshua can edit out some of the not so important parts (laughs) yeah he'll cut it down for us so thank you josh thank you evan really appreciate you sharing that i think it's important for a lot of people to hear thank you for this opportunity to share my testimony and i was a little apprehensive about it at first but i just i love telling people about jesus and what he's done for me And just because I shouldn't be here, Mm. I shouldn't be 
seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Right. I shouldn't be that, but because of his mercy, he made me that. And I'm just amazed that he would count someone like me a hypocrite and a religious prick. You those, know. those are the ones he came to save. That's the ones he came to save. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's park this truck and get out of here. All righty. All righty.